0: Welcome back to Women of AB. Polly, I'm your host, Deirdre Mitchell McLean, and I'm her sassy and spicy sidekick, Kathleen Smith. (laughs) And we are very excited for our two guests today. They don't need too much of an introduction, but need some. And Kathleen, I'm going to let you go first.
1: Oh well, as you know,
0: Deirdre, (laughs) one of the
1: things I very much enjoy doing is checking out the resumes of our guests. Just so that I can feel a peak slacker space today, because of course, we're welcoming Dr. Dr. Yes. <laughs> Jyoti Gondek to our program today. And I have to share her resume because I peed my granny panties just a little. Elected to city council in 2017. And that is an accomplishment on its own for women, especially for women of color. But let's just dig a little deeper, just for fun. Prior to that, Jyoti spent four years on Calgary City and Planning Commission, was a board member for Urban Land Institute, board member for Parent Support Association, advisor, National Executive Forum on Public Property, Calgary Economic Development Committee Real Estate, 2012 Queen Elizabeth II Diamond Jubilee recipient, 2016 Angus Reed Applied Sociology Award, undergrad in sociology and criminology, master's in organized sociology, and a doctorate in urban sociology. Where have you found the time?
2: I had I'm, some time on my hands. It's
0: a- just, just a bit. Just a bit. <laughs> We also have uh, Michelle Narang, who's also a counselor out in Yay. Rocky Mountain House. And she was also elected in 2017. She's got 25 years of leadership in the nonprofit sector, was a charter president for the West Country Connect Service Club. She sat on the Rocky Mountain House and District Chamber of Commerce and Subdivision Appeal Board. She was also entertainment coordinator for the Alberta Masters Games. She holds a BA in Women's Studies with focus on Native North America. She also, you know, in her spare time, is the executive director of a nonprofit, and she's a newly minted off-road race car driver.
1: And we bow a homage to you because, my goodness, the service and uh, the the work you've put into your education. And what you've contributed to your community is
0: mind-blowing. She does this all the time. <laughs> Town Council in Rocky Mountain House is technically part-time, right?
3: Yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Technically. Yes. Just yeah. like <laughs> just like the city council is technically full-time, what they mean is all the time. Right? All the time. Yes. 24-7. Twenty-four-seven, <laughs> which is actually the same thing that Michelle had said during our first chat, that there is no separating you, the elected official, from you, the individual.
3: I'll
2: let Michelle start on that one.
3: Sure. Yeah it's it's been a, it's a quite an evolution. Uh, prior to being on town council, I was. I was everywhere, you know, constantly volunteering. I was on on boards and planning events and just doing all these fun and amazing things. And I think that's what people really appreciated about me as I ran for town council. Being a councillor, I am able to do those things less and less, um, mostly because of the inability to be separate from my role as councillor. It's even socializing is difficult, um, let alone caring using your voice and having an opinion about certain things or um, speaking out about certain things and being able to um, be active in say the anti-racist movement or really anything that carries like a political um, attribute to it. I find that really difficult being in a small town, rural council position. And sometimes I'm so envious of, of big city councilors. I find that they seem to be able to, or maybe they're just braver than me. I don't know. <laughs> Able to really, really speak, um, speak their truth and speak out against certain things with a lot more um, uh, confidence.
1: It's more difficult when you're uh, rural because you already know everyone. Is that part of the problem? Or do you find that it brings up conflicts for you as a city councillor?
3: I think it's not because going into my role, everybody knew me, but, I mean, with social media, I, I al- I'm always opinionated. I'm always very vocal. Um, I don't think it's any surprise where I land on certain issues by any means. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that I am in the minority uh, yet I'm representing my community. So those types of things, I just find that, I don't know if I want to call it like an ethical struggle of who I am representing at certain points in time, mm-hmm. um, because sitting around the council table, I'm speaking for those who elected me and for my, my entire community. Right. So that's a really good internal struggle.
1: Uh, That's an excellent point though. And I think that that sometimes gets lost in our, our current uh, divisive political environment that in the end we elect people to represent us not to elect not, we don't elect them to represent uh, their own best interests or their own objectives I think that's a great point that needs to be doubled down on because it's so often forgotten unfortunately
3: yeah and we've been really blessed with a really diverse council when you think about the area that we are in. Um, We have single parents, we have um, stay at home dad, we have seniors, we have um, a female mayor, uh, just kind of a really great diverse diversity within that council. So we've been lucky that way for sure.
1: That's amazing. Jody. you've been part of a, a fairly diverse city council, would you say in Calgary?
2: Yeah, it's interesting. We've got, um, like, if you're looking at the traditional sense of diversity, I think it's interesting that we've got um, our two first Punjabi members of council in George Jahal and I, um, and we've got other members that are, you know, visible minority. But I think the thing that's that's been really interesting is the way we approach issues, the background that we have professionally, and just our thought processes are so very different. So it's, it's sometimes an absolute blessing that we have that kind of diversity, because if you're given the time to formulate an opinion and really let an idea cook properly, we'll make good decisions. Mm -hmm. Um, But ultimately it's 15 people that approach things in 15 different ways. There's no party stitching us together. So sometimes you see the, uh, Oh, how do I say this? The dynamics unfold in a less than beautiful way. <laughs> Such a lovely way of saying it.
0: It was. <laughs> Diplomacy is grand. And of course, um, Calgary
1: elected the first Muslim mayor in Canada, I believe, in Nanshi. So that was a great step in the right direction, too. And I'm a Nanshi stan. I'll try to keep my fangirling to a minimum, but I'm a Nanshi stan. I am too Me too <laughs> hard not to be it's hard not to be
0: when we were putting this podcast together it was it was jody's I want to say evolution, I doubt it's really an evolution, but you sort of popped out on social media in a way that. People only do when they're really starting to make some waves.
1: Yeah, there's making waves (laughs) and then there's tsunamis. And Jody has brought a tsunami the last little while, and I'm here for it and
0: (laughs) cheering it on. And you've said, you said as well that when that happened, that you started getting messages from other individuals saying, please keep speaking out. And was that difficult for you? Like with your, um, elected official and and personal and do you find it easier to be that personal advocate as an elected official or do you find that it's conflicting i think something that michelle
2: said is very interesting that you can't expect someone in an elected position to separate that role from who they are and frankly if you're a good elected official, you got elected based on who you are. If you ran a campaign based on presenting and projecting an image of somebody that you're not, it will be the worst, however many years of your life, because you are not actually yourself. And so mm-hmm. the thing that I found very interesting and interesting in talking to people who are running, as well as people who are in elected positions, are the ones who said, "Well, I thought I had to present myself in this way, and now I'm kind of I feel like I've lost my way." I think what you've got with Michelle and I is, we came out and said, look, this is who we are. We feel that it's the time to offer ourselves in a public service position. You know, vote for me if you like me and don't if you don't. And I think that was absolutely the way to do it. I don't think either one of us could have done it any other way. And I think what it's allowed us to do, um, because Michelle's voice is is quite loud for, for someone in a small town. Um, when she gets behind something and she's very vocal about it, it encourages other people to speak up as well. And I think that's something we've been missing. Um, When you have a party and you have platforms that you can speak to as a party, it's a little bit easier. When you're an an individual, it's kind of like you're an independent. So when you go hard on an issue, it's either out into the ether and no one pays any attention to it or it reaches somebody. And then that somebody reaches somebody else. It's like the shampoo commercials of the past, right? Like you tell one person and they tell two people and (laughs) and it goes on from there. What I found um, very interesting is when I'm good and pissed off about something and I post it, it gets other people pissed off and then we start something and it's good. What I did not expect most recently is I was just down and out and like down for the fight, not in it at all on Sunday morning. I didn't want to get out of bed. I was just, I was flabbergasted that my city had become something I didn't recognize. And I honestly put out a tweet that said I'm broken. And I walked away because I was. And I ended up making Play-Doh with my kid and and like having little crying drags all morning over just the sense of, of hopelessness. And it was funny to go back onto Twitter later and see that, oh my God, people actually gave a damn about what I had to say. And now mm-hmm. there's people actually engaged in mm-hmm. wanting to talk about how do we become anti-racist? How do we tell people it's, you know, it's not okay to parade your colors and say that you're a racist. You can't do that here. And I don't think it matters right. what size of jurisdiction you come from. If you're that voice, social media gives us the power that it doesn't matter how big our, our municipality is. So mm-hmm. it's been interesting to see what people latch onto.
1: Speaking of getting pissed off and taking a stand, Michelle, I remember fondly the stand you took on social media against uh, an especially disgusting deckle that had circulated that um, I'm I'm not going to describe it. I'm not going to name the company that was busted using this deckle. It's enough to say that it was a, a specifically horrible and in my humble opinion, near pedophilic attack on Greta Thunberg. And Michelle, you stood up to that. You stood up loud and proud and brought attention to uh, an issue that is deeply rooted in this province, and that is misogyny and sexism in our ONG industry. So what, what made you speak up and... Plant your feet and square your shoulders so proudly on that issue. Well,
3: that was simple. Um, somebody had sent it to me, saying, "This needs. This is not okay." And it was actually how it made me feel. I, I'll never forget it. I was in my office and I picked up my phone and I just, like, I crumbled to the chair, and it. I, I felt physical pain and Mm -hmm. sickness I just I don't know I don't know what it was specifically I mean obviously it was just I mean I live in Alberta I've seen some nasty shit yeah
1: um
3: but something specific about that um it it really impacted me and I didn't even have to think about it um and all I mean really I did nothing but post it saying this is not okay (laughs) like Mm -hmm. this I will not allow this to represent the industry that feeds my family um that supports my nonprofit, that, um, you know, feeds families in my community. I will not allow this to be a representation of that. Um, so that's kind of where I was and these, it needs to get called out. Like they can't, I don't want my son to grow up and work in the oil and gas industry and have to see that. Yeah. I don't let alone my daughters. Yeah. Um, so that was, it was exposing it and bringing it to light was a no brainer. the, Follow and how the um, momentum that it picked up blew me away completely
1: so did um, you worry about how that would affect your image politically at all was there oh, a point absolutely. where you thought you know maybe I'm not doing <laughs> so so great by myself right near if I'm if I'm going to have to suffer the consequences of the backlash
3: um no I, I i mean i still think okay i'm gonna run again in october and we'll see how many voters i lost or maybe i gained a whole bunch i have absolutely no idea mm-hmm. um realistically because um, I, I got so much support i never really thought of how this is going to impact impact me but my kids and i didn't stay home for a little while um it was scary i yeah. got some incredibly horrifying messages um so i was frightened for my own safety as a result of that i got Lots of blowback that way. One of the things that really, really surprised me is a respected person in our community, Mail, sent me a message saying that I'm embarrassing Rocky Mountain House and I'm embarrassing the oil and gas industry. And I thought, come again.
1: <laughs> the ONG. I'm embarrassing industry you. <laughs> right. Humiliated themselves. Yes. With that one. 100%. I, I, yeah. It's a little bit off topic, but Alberta has been making international media for all the wrong reasons the last few years. Uh, The Greta Thunberg deckel was one of those things, of course, uh, our premier and his history on LGBTQ2 rights has made international news, our poor COVID response. It's not the people who draw attention to our errors who are embarrassing us. It is the people who commit the errors (laughs) in the first place and there seems to be a lot of misdirected misplaced anger in this province where we lash out at those who force us to look at our culture and force us to look at ourselves in the mirror unfortunately it's It's the the mini
3: skirt it's the mini skirt what was she wearing It's, it's that exact same mentality right like you know, the day that I can walk down the back alley in Alberta in a miniskirt and a tube top and know I'm safe. Yeah. <laughs> like It's that mentality, like victim blaming at its finest.
0: You've both stepped up and said, this is not okay. And you're both getting support. But are you? I mean, of course, of course, I think everybody knew there would be some blowback, uh, Michelle, just because of, of like we said, the, the culture where it was coming from, people looked at that as being, it's okay because it's coming from the oil patch or because it's boys will be boys or whatever. But uh, Jody, what about you? Are you seeing, are you seeing blowback? Are you seeing requests from people that are saying things like, we don't have a problem, stop making this a problem?
2: Yeah, stop making this a problem is the big one. And if you want to to portray a good image of our city, then just stop talking about this stuff. You're the one that's causing the problems. You're the one that's bringing this stuff up. And it's sort of like, really, am I the one that's out marching and getting my picture taken and looking like a complete backwoods idiot who's, you know, not only anti-mask, but anti-humanity? That's not me. So, you know, if you don't like the fact that I'm calling out stuff that nobody ever wanted to talk about, nobody wanted to look at, I'm sorry that the word racism makes your skin crawl, makes mine crawl too. I can't believe that, you know, at 51 years old, I still have to tell people it's not okay to be a racist. Like how much longer is it going to take? Cause time's running out. So yeah. I don't really, um, I don't listen to those voices. I don't care for them. Um, what I found very interesting in the last couple of days though, is the people that have said, I never noticed the racism around me. I never thought this was the thing. And When somebody says that and they realize how much they've had blinders on in their life, then thank goodness I said something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I remember um, the first place I lived in Alberta was Wainwright and I worked at a credit union. This was 1997 and I was supposed to go um, to a town to deliver a message of whatever it was we were doing. And the assistant loans manager at the time and the manager of the branch came to me and said, you can't go there alone. And I said, "Wow, well, whatever, I'm tough. And they said, no, like you literally cannot go there alone. In fact, I don't think you should go there at all. Um, one of the chapters of the clan is active there. Wow. I never expected to hear that in my lifetime. But those of us who are of color understand that these things happen and we've dealt with them in our lifetime so when we tell you racism exists it's probably not a good idea to say that i'm wrong because i've experienced it so let's get on with the matter of accepting that it's here and eradicating it let's not bicker about whether or not systemic racism exists it's a thing we can fix it if we just admit it exists it's like an addiction Mm -hmm. let's just take that first step and then get past
1: it why do you think uh White white Canadians and I would have to say specifically Albertans and possibly some more prairie regions are so adverse to accepting the reality of systemic racism.
0: Other than the obvious it benefits them?
1: But I don't I I don't think they reject the idea, thinking it, that you know, if I admit this, I can't benefit from it anymore. I don't think there's even that much deep thought involved. I'm, I'm very curious as to why Albertans not only deny they're racist, and I'm probably one of those annoying people who thinks that to some degree, all white people are racist. All white people even the left even the leftists who think they aren't racist we are all racist you can't exist in our society without being racist as a white person because it's set up to benefit us exclusively right but why do you think it's so difficult for people to Except that we live in a a racist society. Except that systemic racism exists, and that it's better for all of us if we kind of do something about it. Why is that hard for people?
2: Well, yeah, I think Michelle and I can offer you a very um, a very interesting and informed perspective because both of us, you know, um, have had relationships that are, you know, with, with people of different backgrounds. Like I, I'm married to a white guy, so my I'm divorced my, from a brown guy. Yeah. <laughs> So we're pretty much the same person, right? (laughs) So we've got these weird insights into, you know, something you just said, Kathleen. I think everybody has inherent bits of bias towards other people and whether it comes out as racism or lack of a a lack of tolerance or whatever it happens to be, or the stereotypes that we form. I think human beings are just geared that way. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times people don't want to talk about things that are incredibly uncomfortable because they have to face their own biases and their own demons and they have to look you have to look somebody like me in the eye and say no no I'm not that I've never been guilty of that and that's tough it's a really tough thing to do and I don't know that people always connect it to you know I've got privilege therefore I don't want to talk about it I think it's just ridiculously uncomfortable. Totally agree and I think
3: especially in Alberta, it, it always comes back to uh, oh, when's my wife when's my privilege kicking in? You know, after my eight hours of working on the oil rigs, when's my privilege kicking in? Like my that, my privilege looks like mentality. hard
1: work. That's yeah. the attitude here, right? My exactly. privilege looks like hard work and bootstrapping.
3: Totally. And I'll tell you, I had a friend and his name was Safa Habibi. And uh he was a skilled mechanic, I believe, and he was sending resumes and sending resumes and sending re- resumes, wanting to work in Alberta. Nothing. Wouldn't, couldn't even get a phone call, let alone an interview. Changed his name to Alexander. Boom. Hired. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's what privilege looks like, people. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, it, and people just don't, don't want to admit that it's not about how hard you work. It's not what it is. Not, we're not saying you don't work hard at all. Um, and even in 2012, there's a road, Highway 11, that comes into Rocky Mountain House. And for about three weeks, I was driving over a swastika. I mean, the swastika took over half the road. Every time I drove over it, I'm like, and it was right outside the high school. I'm like, why is this still here? Why is this still here? And it was just, it was grating on me. And it was the weekend before the big rodeo. You know, everybody comes to Rocky Mountain House for the rodeo. And I'm like, I phoned a few different, I phoned the RCMP, I think. And someone else, and I was like, there's the swastika on the highway that nobody is doing anything about. They're like, well, you know, no, kind of turn a blind eye. And I'm like, well, I'm going out there. And it's Sunday on a long weekend. I'm going out there, (laughs) me and my, you know, five, eight, and nine-year-old. And we're going to go wash this damn thing off the highway (laughs) if it is the last thing that we do.
0: And we did. We blocked off the whole
3: road. (laughs) And we scrubbed it off. And, you know, my kids are making peace signs. And it was fabulous. But I thought, this was outside of high school. Talk about a teachable moment. Like yeah. the kids were driving to school, the t- driving to school every single day over the same damn swastika. Why was nobody doing anything about it? Because everybody's white. It doesn't yeah. hurt them. It doesn't impact them. And th- that was the moment I had to teach my kids about racism and what it meant. Mm-hmm. And uh, unless right. it's hurting you and impacting you directly, it's really easy to ignore it or to do nothing. Even you can sit at home and be mad about it, or maybe talk about it behind closed doors. But once you open up. You know, to the outside and to the community, and start saying, "Hey, this is not okay." Um, That's when you start getting death threats, and you have crazy alt-right groups sending you hate messages, like I have, and I'm sure Jody's probably your name's probably on the same
1: list that mine's on. And that's the part of it I don't understand. I, I really, that's, I think that's what I struggle with the most. Racism is horrific enough on its own. But then when you get these little clubs, where that's the whole point of their club is <laughs> hating on people who are of a different color. That's the part I struggle with most. But yeah. it's when they start organizing these little clubs. You know, Michelle, you you brought up a good point about privilege. And I don't, I don't want anyone in our audience to think that I'm I'm mocking hard work, and I'm definitely not mocking the hard work and the struggles of a lot of rural Albertans, because I know it's a different life from the urban life that I live. But something I try to explain to people on a regular basis is that privilege isn't about how hard you work. It's about how many walls stand between you and your hard work paying off for your life. Mm-hmm. And when people of color do the same work, but have to climb or tear down three or four more walls than any white person does, that's what privilege is. You're uh, lgbtq too, even in Canada, that's still a wall separating you. You're a new immigrant. That's another wall. You uh, are differently abled. That's another wall. There's so many walls that too many people have to climb before they can even get to the bootstraps they keep telling us to pull up.
0: Mm-hmm. That's my little
1: speech for today, yeah. Deirdre.
0: <laughs> I was talking you to know- my sister earlier this morning and we're both out in rural. Um, actually, I'm a townie. She's really rural. And um, we were talking about how how these conversations about Race are coming up, and she was saying that she had she had a neighbor, and both of us grew up in in Black Falls. Right, there was twenty two hundred people, and um, everyone looked like us. So that's just the way that things were. Um, but she was saying that when she was living in Calgary, she had a neighbor who was black, and she they apparently they worked in the same area they took the same bus or something and she said you know one day they were they were getting to know each other on the bus and the, her neighbor told her that she was shopping at the bay and there was a woman there who wouldn't serve her and my sister said and i looked at her and i said what do you what do you mean what do you mean wouldn't serve you and she said she said that they didn't have anything in my color, nothing would look good on me or whatever. She wouldn't serve me. And my sister's like, in Calgary? Like, like recently? <laughs> like she was just, she was blown away by Can't this. Wrap her head around it. Huh? Right. And, but this is, this is something that I think when people bring up privilege, one of the reasons why it gets other people's backs up is because they actually don't know right? This is not something that us white girls had to go through. So hearing from someone else about their experience, um, it's astounding mm-hmm. to us, especially if we grew up in this area, right? No, all the neighbors are great. No, like, we've never had any problems. Like, it, it, is, it is actually astounding when you hear that this is something that happens five years ago, not 50, but five in Calgary. Mm-hmm and if it's not in Calgary, it's in Strathmore. It's in like, I like this, this is something that that people of color actually still go through. But we but but there are a lot of people who don't know that.
1: Yeah. Well, although now I think that anyone who doesn't know it has to be purposely avoiding it.
0: After what was. Or or not on social media. We, you know, 55 plus Mm, are not really finding out lots.
1: We've had a whole year of racial uprising now. We had the summer of Black Lives Matter. We've got soldiers of Odin walking the streets proudly in Calgary. And that's all over the news. So I've reached that place now where anyone who tells me Canada isn't a racist country. It's not that bad out there. It's a few minor assholes making it bad for the rest of us. No, that's not what we're dealing with now because the right. racism has always been there. But in until the last, really, I don't want to blame everything on Trump, but really until Trump came to power the way he has, the, the racism was hidden in North America. It was still there. But it was a bit more subtle, it was a bit more nuanced, and the racists weren't proud to be racist. But now we gotta marching in the street, waving their flags. Like this is somehow normal and acceptable, like it's a like it's a book club for God's sake. Michelle, you mentioned that uh, you were in a, an interracial relationship. How do you think that experience has affected uh you in in how you perceive the world around you
3: um we experienced a lot of racism in high school um not so much into our adulthood um really really what i find interesting and there's like a hierarchy of hate i guess you can call it hierarchy
1: of hate well yeah, there is.
3: <laughs> there, there really is. And when I think about my interracial relationship and my ex and I, we didn't necessarily experience racism in the world. Uh, what I do actually get is, oh, you an East Indian man. That must have been very controlling. And I was like, he would wish
1: <laughs> every time. I, oh, okay. I have, like, I've heard that every time. Yeah. Oh well, I hear they like to control the women. Like yeah Mm, not so much maybe that's why i'm divorced maybe i got that part wrong i don't know (laughs) that wasn't my experience but okay (laughs) it's also um do you find that um the a lot of the backlash that you receive is rooted in race do you get the go back to where you came from nonsense
2: you know i'm gonna i'm gonna pull out a word that i think we all love um intersectionality being that word Mm -hmm. um I think it depends on the day what it is that people want to tear at um so most of the time it's because I'm a woman a lot of the times it's because I have an education and sometimes it's about race and the trifecta of awesomeness is when they're pissed off at the whole package right So, like you know how how dare you be here representing us when you don't look like us and how dare you have this education because obviously you think you're better than us and you know what could you possibly know because you know you really should you even have this job considering you're not a man so the haters are going to hate you and they'll pick whatever they want to that day or they'll just package it all together and just push that out but I find that um some people can tolerate some parts of what I'm saying, but not others. And they can handle pieces of who I am, but not the whole deal. So it really depends on the situation. It depends on the argument. And it's, it's a very interesting way to get through life. My very existence is an affront to somebody at some time without me even knowing it. So, I mean, I go back to grade seven, Um, five of us went back to a friend's house and she stopped me at the door and said, I'm sorry, but you can't come in. My mom said, I can't have you in the house.
1: Oh my Lord.
2: Well, and what do you do? Like, do you stop being friends with this poor kid who really had no say in this? And I looked at my friends and I said, all right, here's what I think we should do. I think I should go home. You you guys should go and do whatever it was we're supposed to be doing. And, you know, I'll see you at school because your mom can't stop you from hanging out with me at school. And she goes, oh yeah, totally. She can't do that. So that's how we dealt with it. Right. Oh my
1: goodness.
2: I remember showing up at my husband's workplace before we were married. Um, he had a part-time job, um, being a bartender and I walked in and the woman he was working with gave me this look. She gave him this look, whatever. I didn't think anything of it. The next day she said, I thought you said your girlfriend's name was Jody. And he goes, (gasps) Oh my God. She was just repulsed this good looking white kid would date somebody like me. So you have all these things that happen to you and you, you have these things that you remember, you put them away, like you tuck them away somewhere. So you don't, so you can actually get through life without feeling worthless, Mm. but they come out and they come out at inopportune times and they hurt. And I think it's those things that you remember and the things that were said to you that you got past and they made you stronger but when somebody else comes to you, especially when you're in a position like Michelle and I, when, when you're in an elected position, there to represent people. And someone from the LGBTQ community says, I went through conversion therapy because I just wanted to belong. Or someone from the Black community says, you know what? I just ignore it. And I don't go to those places anymore if they don't want me there. No, that can't happen. Oh, okay.
1: That's right.
2: You feel like that. You need to feel like you belong. In this city, in the community, you are as much a part of this city as anybody else. And for me, it brings back all those little cuts from the past that hurt. But I use that to make sure that nobody else has to. And that's why we have to persist.
1: Yeah. It's important for all of us, too. Yeah, You know, it's not just important for the individual. And I know, I, I, I can't imagine the sacrifice. I can't imagine the pain that comes from fighting back against that when you are a person of color, when you are LGBTQ2, when you are first nations in this country, it is a lot to put yourself out there. It's very easy for me to say, please don't hide away. We need you. Please raise your voice. We need your voice. It's easy for me to say that as a white suburbanite woman, but for people of color to do that, to have that courage to put themselves out there like that, I, I can't imagine the resolve that that must take, and the, the pain that comes with it.
2: And yeah, you know what, I'm, I'm over this idea of, um, if you're in an elected position, if you're in public office or a public figure, hide the pain. Nope, oh, not going to do that. Um no. It's not like you need to know every single time I'm having a bad day. But right, if I'm yeah. pain something, it's probably not just me. And we should be feeling that pain as a society that this is what it's come to. And yeah. we can't be quiet. Like you, you cannot have people in this world going through life feeling like they don't belong because it leads to dangerous consequences. And you know what? This is the thing that worries me about hate groups being so emboldened. There's a lot of people in isolation right now. There's a lot of people lonely. There's a lot of people sad. There's a lot of people struggling with, you know, are we ever going to get out of this? That hopelessness, that helplessness, and the loneliness is where people prey on other people. And if you don't see the new face of racism as radicalization, then we are missing the point. Why is it that we can talk about radicalization when it comes to people of color, but you can't talk about it when it's these hate groups that are marching in our streets. That is singularly the thing that worries me. We are in a horrible position right now where people are vulnerable and these folks will prey on them.
1: And they're already uh, identified as the biggest national security threat for all of North America. Terrorists aren't coming to get us, Canada. They're living next door to you. They're wearing soldiers of Odin jackets and white hoods those are the people that we should be frightened of those are the people that are are doing more to further racism in this country and doing it faster than the rest of us know how to fight back against Mm -hmm. I I have to ask both of you one of the things Deirdre and I talk about a lot on our podcast is self-care and Jody, you mentioned that you had tweeted over the weekend that you had one of those moments where you were broken and you were done and you needed to step back from it. And people actually responded to that in a positive manner. So, Michelle, what do you do for self-care? When it when it feels like it's just all too much and you're done, how how do you take care of you?
3: My COVID coffee. <laughs> may or may not have caffeine. Um, <laughs> no i i mean i live in the west country the most beautiful part of alberta if i do say so myself i do i do a lot of outdoor hiking and uh i do like to go to the gym when we're not on lockdown so if these anti-maskers could just like tone it down a little bit so that we could get this shit figured out so i could go back to the gym <laughs> that'd be that awesome. would be great yeah that'd be fantastic um but yeah i just i actually just really would be like to stay active and lately i've been doing lots of crafty things with my kids because we're all kind of stuck at home trying not to kill each other so
1: there's that. <laughs> Jody, what do you do? Uh,
2: I'm notoriously bad at self-care. Um, like really bad. But I find that there's things that ease my mind. And as soon as I can ease my mind, the rest of it goes with it. And writing is something that helps me. And cathartic. so it's, it's extremely cathartic. And sometimes, you know, like I, I get criticized for, why is your post so long? Well, don't read it. I don't really care. <laughs> for me, not for you. I'm not demanding that you read it. If you're interested, please go ahead. Otherwise, go ahead and finish your chips and
1: dip. Whatever. Like, did you forget how to scroll, pal? Yeah. Yeah. Swipe up. (laughs) Swipe up.
2: (laughs) There's something about being able to express yourself and get it out of your head, get that spinning mess of thoughts out into something that just makes it all better. That's that's what I do, and then I can actually go and go for a walk. I can take the dog out. I can hang out with my family and not be cranky. I just need to get the spinning out of my head.
1: Yeah. Deirdre, what do you do? You've never told me what you do.
0: Oh. Drinking doesn't
1: count because we all do that girl. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell me why. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. So, uh, so there's, there's actually two things. Um, sometimes I'm so angry about something and, and when I'm writing it, it sounds, I, I read it and I think this sounds like I'm being whiny. This sounds like I'm, you know, I'm not. I'm too focused on the problem, and 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 that's the pro- that's the problem, right? I am focused on the problem, and what helps me is satirizing something. Um, mm-hmm. And I first I first started that a couple of years ago, and I've posted some, um, but I find that when I'm really really stuck and I'm just and I'm so overwhelmed by if I can find a way to just mock the crap out of that I feel so good afterwards it just it 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 clears everything but that's and that's what it is right um and then the other thing is really 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 bad um uh, series on Netflix <laughs> horrible and the worse the better okay like these I'm I'm currently watching when calls the heart and it's horrible it is an awful what is show wrong with you girl <laughs> but it wrong? it it actually numbs my head so much trying to you know keep up with it and and yes kind of nitpicking some of dialogue and it's 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 bad but you know what I'm so focused on that that everything else is kind of melted away
1: well I'm going to annoy I'm going to week. annoy I'm going to annoy all of you and all of our listeners by saying that my way to deal with stress and engage in self-care is to organize. Oh, like I God. I I go totally <laughs> Marie Kondo. I'll spend oh. 3 days cleaning every cupboard, every drawer, every Do you dresser. Oh, well I don't go that far. <laughs> Not going to my old underwear or anything, but I I just go ate shit on the organizing because and I know what it is. It's control, right? Yeah,
0: but that's also I, super I, productive, Kathleen, and that's really annoying to me while I'm sitting watching. When calls the heart, just duh, Deirdre. Trust me, <laughs> there is a point where my husband
1: would say to you, "This is not productive.
0: <laughs> this is
1: just weird." And I know it's really about it's about controlling my my environment because I can't control what's going on inside of here and I can't control what's going on right out there right so controlling my my house has never been so clean I gotta tell you since this pandemic hit, I mean I would invite any mother-in-law over here that's how <laughs> clean it is anyone's mother-in-law they can come with their white gloves but I know it's just oh about God. yeah it's just about <laughs> controlling my environment so that I don't feel out of control
2: it's huge I mean the fact that the fact that we recognize that we have to do something even though we don't recognize it as self-care all the time I think is really important because there comes a point where you're either going to break badly or you need to take that break to do something to get yourself over it and Deirdre I want you to know that while I was doing my dissertation um there would come a point on Monday nights that I would watch um Bus of Love, do you remember? That? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I'd crack an old Milwaukee and watch.
1: Um, Bus the trip. choice. Yeah. See, I'm. I'm gonna add that to t's resume now. 2012 <laughs> Queen Elizabeth's Diamond Jubilee recipient and Bus of <laughs> Love Stan. Yeah. It all fits.
2: Yeah.
0: Just to Just- focus on something else.
2: Not to think about political economy theory and social yeah. constructionism and the 700 articles I had to read after I got the kid to school. Things like that. Like Michelle and I would pick up the kids at, uh, they went to um, a preschool. Purple Potamus. Yeah, Purple Potamus. We'd pick them up. I'd climb into her truck and have a little conversation with her for a few <laughs> minutes. And then we'd go and grab them and bring them home. And just those little tiny escapes yeah. in life yeah. that get you going and keep you moving. I think we all need them.
1: Deirdre I wanted to um, I had some thoughts last night about this is our last podcast prior to Christmas Yes, so we want to wish all of our listeners a very Merry Christmas Happy Holidays, Happy Hanukkah whatever you celebrate however you celebrate it this year I know we're all having to find different ways to celebrate with Mm -hmm. family and perhaps starting new traditions as a result of that I just wanted to send a message to our listeners that there's, there's a lot of anger out there right now and we're all feeling that anger. And we talk a lot about uh, fighting the sadness and the depression, but I think it's also important for all of us to recognize that the anger a lot of us are feeling is real and you don't need to be ashamed about feeling anger because oftentimes anger is a side effect of confusion and hurt and fear so let's all try to be a little bit kinder with each other and kinder with with ourselves ourselves going into 2021 and give yourselves a bit of a break and give everyone else a bit of a break too merry christmas yes
0: Um, merry christmas From me and dear (laughs) Trivi,
1: and we look forward to chatting with more amazing guests in 2021. And thank you, Jody and Michelle, for joining us. This is Mm -hmm. a fantastic conversation, and we are going to be so proud to share it with our audience.
2: This is a great reunion for us. So thank
3: you for bringing. Yeah. (laughs) And I feel much smarter now, so I am very happy (laughs) to be in such.